it's really upsetting when people sometimes assume that because I am black, that fighting anti-Semitism is not a priority for me, as if it's like this hierarchy and like activism when it just doesn't work like that at all. Like in the same way that there's not really a hierarchy of of our identities, they kind of just, you know, intersect. I'm Clarissa Marks, and you are listening to On Wandering. This past year, as America has experienced what some have called a racial awakening, many Black Jews in particular attest to experiencing racism both from the non-Jewish world and in Jewish spaces. One of the places I've been able to meet and listen to more Black Jews has been one of my new favorite hangout spots, Jewish Twitter, or Twitter for short. That's where I met my guest today, Jesse Taylor Cruz. Jesse is a freelance journalist, researcher, and graduate student of philosophy at the City University of New York. Their work focuses on critical race theory, political theory, identity, discard theory, and they've released a paper called The Caged Bird Tweets of Freedom on the digital hypervisibility of Black Jewish life. Their paper highlights the ways in which digital spaces, and Black Jewish Twitter in particular, has offered Black Jews a way to build community on a global scale. Jessie and I talked about her paper as well as her personal experience as a Black Jew online and offline. And just to note, this was recorded during the pandemic while Jesse was home with a kiddo, so you may hear some cute playtime noises going on in the background. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jesse Taylor Cruz. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. So I wanted to start with talking about how we actually met through the special corner of the internet, which is mm-hmm. Twitter, and specifically Twitter, I think it's Twitter. How it's <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's what we're going to be talking about a bit today. So I was hoping you could help describe what is Twitter and specifically Black Twitter. So I guess in the simplest terms, Twitter is just the space on the social media platform called Twitter where the Jews congregate. (laughs) Yeah. And then within that, there are, yeah, the black Jews that congregate there too. And sometimes they use certain hashtags to kind of signal that that's who their target, I guess, audience is. But yeah, it's a little community. Yeah. And it's not like it's a particular like website. It's not like you log into a special Twitter. It's just you, when you follow enough people, you start to kind of have a community there. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, too, I think you do a, a great job of this in the paper. If you could help us frame who are we talking about when we're talking about the Black Jews? Yeah, so this one always gets a little tricky because sometimes, depending on who you're talking to, you can say Black Jew or Black Jewish Black Jewish person, and they'll assume you're talking about um, like black Hebrew Israelites, and that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are Jewish and also a part of the African diaspora. So they're a part of either 
either they're conservative, reform, reconstructionist, or orthodox, and are also part of the African diaspora. Yeah, yeah and I, I think you also made the point that there are folks who might just feel like they're culturally Jew or identify as culturally yeah. Jewish, but be part of the African diaspora. Exactly. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. They could also identify as atheist or agnostic or something mm-hmm. else, too. But yeah. Got it. So your paper specifically talks about the hashtag Black Shabbat that Mm -hmm. showed up on Twitter a little while back. Can you tell me what's the story behind this hashtag? Where did it come from? So, yeah, it was started by Rebecca Pierce, who I've been following on Twitter for a while now, and I stumbled upon it last year one day and it was it just so happened to be during a time when I was just I was just I don't even know just feeling lost alone etc confused about where I was spiritually religiously etc and I saw a tweet that had the hashtag black Shabbat and I was like wait a second what is this corner of Twitter that I've never heard of before what is this what is this so then I you know, clicked the hashtag to see more. And that's when I saw that it was really just a collection of tweets by primarily Black Jews who were just tweeting about their experiences, sharing information, and just generally writing about things related to the Black Jewish experience. And I was so happy that I found it because offline, I, I mean, I'm just not a part of I mean, technically a Jewish community, period, but I don't really have that many Black Jewish people in my life. So it was nice. Yeah. Was this something that, I don't know if I saw the original tweet, was this something that Rebecca Pierce posted with kind of a framing of like, this is how you should use the hashtag? Or did she just kind of put it out there one day and then started copying it? So she basically put it out there and said something like, hey, this has been a really rough week for Black Jews. Um, We're coming up on the end of the week. Why don't we get the hashtag Black Shabbat going and just share, you know, words of encouragement, etc. Or just something to uplift the lives of Black Jews or amplify the voices of Black Jews and just use the hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what was going on that week? So what's interesting is I don't exactly remember what was going on that week. And when I was writing the paper, I was even trying to, like, figure out exactly what was happening. But when I did that, I did re- I did find that it did happen to be during the anniversary of a really uh, violent event that happened in Brooklyn uh, years before. And that was that was interesting to find out but yeah i don't remember the specific thing that she was referring to Mm -hmm. right and so do you have a sense of how often black shabbat was used i think you had maybe hundreds of examples that you so yeah your paper it was more all right i'll put it like this i feel like there were definitely a lot more retweets than there were original tweets but there were Somewhere around the hundreds. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot more retweets, like thousands of retweets and likes and stuff like that. Quote tweets, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And then you broke down 
the categories. You started categorizing these tweets, which I loved, into, I think your three categories were testimony, solidarity, or historical. Yes. Can you tell me about what those categories are and give me some examples? Sure. So for the historical ones, it was really just tweets that had something to do with some type of moment in history or a historical figure or just something that was relaying some type of historical information that had something to do with black Jewish people. Then solidarity was one that didn't necessarily have to be tweeted by somebody who was a black Jew, but it was just like showing, I mean, solidarity (laughs) with them. And then for the testimony one, those are the tweets that are specifically by black Jews who are tweeting out something related to the experiences of black Jews. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of experiences were they talking about? Some of them involved what it's like to experience both anti-blackness and anti-Semitism at the same time, amongst other types of discrimination and, and such. But some of them were really just expressing thankfulness for black Twitter Mm. and how it allowed them to meet other people with shared experiences. And then there were also some that were just like, Hey, black Jews exist. Something that was just matter of factly, like we're here, don't erase our identities, etc. And then for the solidarity ones, a lot of them were so great. It was a lot of people that were either calling out their favorite black rabbis or, just doing like lists of people to follow who are black and Jewish and who are like writing about their experiences. And yeah, it was like a nice array of tweets and the majority of them were really great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did it, how did you feel personally when you were looking through all of these tweets? Um, I mostly just felt so seen because it was, it's just not, it's just not stuff that, I'd heard before period. Yeah, like in person before the year 2019, I met maybe one other black Jew, maybe, maybe two, but only one comes to mind before 2019, as I said. So it was just, it was just nice to see so many other people and I didn't feel so alone and then i felt even more affirmed just seeing just like the larger jewish uh the larger jewitter community chime in and express solidarity and yeah yeah so i wanted to talk about that a little bit because one of the themes that i noticed in your paper that came up a lot is the sense of isolation because of the small number of black jews in the world it's really hard for Black Jews to meet each other, and they might mm-hmm. be separated by space and time. And I was just hoping you could talk a little bit more about how uh, Black Twitter and Black Shabbat factor into that that feeling of just, I don't know any other Black Jews. Yeah, so it's one thing to just, like, not see yourself in the community, like, in person, offline, and then it's just another to not really see yourself reflected in any texts or, you know, like published articles by people in seminaries and rabbinical school and such. And so it's just, or just going to a service somewhere or a Seder and just knowing that like, you're just going to be the only black person in the room. 
mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily even like a bad thing. Like it's not to say that going to service or going to these events are bad because there are like no other black Jews or something like that. It's just, it just feels nice. I don't know to feel like yeah. you're not the only one that's going to be having unique experiences there. And so finding all of these people online is really just like, okay, like, wow, not only are other people experiencing so many similar things that I am, they also have like kind of similar journeys or they've had to also find ways of overcoming very specific things that they're feeling in the community or just honestly being able to know that I can find somebody who's going to read what I say and be like, wow, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. Instead of having somebody say, well, have you ever thought or something like that, you know, just trying to play devil's advocate or invalidate something about your experience. And it's, it's nice. I'm the type of person who is constantly like challenging my own beliefs and like interrogating my belief systems. And it's, it's nice to be able to do that about issues related to like race, racism, et cetera, with other black people. There's just a lot less to worry about in terms of, are they speaking from a place of bias? Are they impacted by anti-blackness when they're making this critique of something I'm saying right now? And it's just, it's just a whole, it's just a very different thing. And it's really refreshing and nice. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it sounds like you're able to find people who you know have a similar lens to how you yeah. view the world. And hearing what you say about just being able to walk into a space and know that there are other people coming from your point of view and your background feels super affirming. It it reminds me a lot sometimes of how I feel when I'm not around other Jews in general for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then just the relief that you feel when you – run into someone else who's Jewish and you're like, oh, that's right. You get my jokes. Yeah. You know, the same (laughs) like political issues that I have to think about every day and how people don't understand me. Yeah. And it's like a double tiptoe around some things too. Yeah. You don't have to do that extra like, oh great. I know I'm going to have to unpack this for five minutes before we can even start the conversation. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Totally. And I'm wondering, too, when you say that you have to unpack things for other people or that you get faced with people who are trying to play devil's advocate, Mm -hmm. there was a really interesting line in your paper where you talked about how with Black Twitter, Black Jewish Twitter, there's just some relief in visibility and not having to prove that Black Jews exist. Mm -hmm. I think you talked a little bit about how both folks in the Black community and the Jewish community don't believe Black Jews exist and get very quizzical. <laughs> or, yeah, and I was wondering if yeah. you could just share a little, if you feel comfortable sharing from your experience or just in general, because I'm I'm surprised by, I mean, in general, I grew up not knowing any Black Jews. And still, now that I work in the Jewish community, I still don't know very many. And I am surprised by how many white Jews are not aware that this is an issue because they also don't know any black Jews. So I guess I'll give an example of like in the black community when I'm speaking to other black people who are religious, there's usually just this assumption 
that you're either Muslim or Southern Baptist or some type of Christian. And I mean, for many reasons, that's not a good thing to assume, I guess. Like you don't want to assume anything about anybody. It always turns into this whole conversation where they'll be like, wait, what, what do you, what do you mean? And I'll be like, I mean exactly what I said. Like, I don't get what it is I'm supposed to be explaining to you right now. I'm Jewish. And they'd be like, but, and it's just this confusion. and It's so visible on their faces immediately. And I feel like it just stems mostly from just this prevailing idea that Jews are white, which is, (laughs) I mean, even in saying that, it's like a whole loaded potentially a historical claim to even make, you know what I mean? It just shocks people. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange. (laughs) It sounds like it's not even, it's not like aggressive, like someone's coming over and saying, you don't exist, I don't believe you. But you just constantly have to do the education. So that's the thing. When I'm talking to black people, it's like that. Often when I'm talking to Jewish people, people is when it's kind of like the I don't know Mm. I don't know that's when it usually goes into the oh how are you Jewish Mm. so I feel like when I'm talking to like other black people they're mostly just like interesting you're Jewish tell me more but then when I'm like talking to other Jewish people they're like okay how it's all it's always okay oh so you're a convert or 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 you're mixed or something like that. Like it always goes into this whole other thing, which is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. suddenly start investigating your whole family tree and personal exactly. story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so obnoxious. <laughs> I'm so sorry you've had to deal with that. How? I Where do you, do you have any thoughts about where that comes from? I mean, I know I have a lot of thoughts, but do you have any ideas? Um, I feel like a lot of it is honestly probably just not seeing many, I guess, and just it not clicking or something like that. Like, so actually yesterday I was looking into, uh, so I want to homeschool, but I was looking into different like three K's in my area because that's coming up soon. And one of the ones near me happens to be this yeshiva. And I was looking at, um, like pictures of the students and such. And I was just like, oh my gosh, of course. There's not a single brown or black person in any of these photos. And then it sent me on this spiral where I was like, wow, part of me thinks it would be so cool to send my kid there. But then part of me is like, oh gosh, what if I'm setting them up to, I don't know, like deal with, you know, like anything like that. But it starts with that too, where it's like, if you really just don't see anybody that doesn't look like you in those spaces, you might start to normalize the idea that they're just not a part of your community or something. But now I feel like it's a little bit different just because there are so many more like visible, famous black Jews. So it's not as much of like a thing anymore, but then there's still the thing where if we're being real, the majority of them are not converts so then there's an interesting conversation to be had there because a lot of them do tend to be like biracial and so then it's just like a complicated (laughs) thing Mm. yeah 
Yeah. yeah. I feel like in general in the Jewish world, there's this idea of, well, we're special, right? Like we're the chosen people. <laughs> we're a secret club that, and you have to be like ready to take on all of the crap that we deal with if you want to be part of this mm-hmm. club. I wonder if that's where some of the pushback and questioning comes from. Not that that makes it better or excusable. I know what you mean, though. Yeah. But I feel like that's a factor. But then also, you do a really interesting thing at the end of the paper where you highlight this conflict that happened in Crown Heights between the Black community and the Hasidic community. Mm -hmm. Could you tell me a little bit about what that was and why you decided to highlight that as an example. Yeah. So the reason I included it was partly because I found out, like I was saying earlier, that it happened to take place like almost exactly to the day of the creation of the black Shabbat hashtag. Cause when I was like figuring out like what, what happened that day. And then of course, when I Googled the date, that was the first thing that came up and I was like, wow, okay, of course this is the first thing to come up when I search for this. I want to say it was the late 90s. It was Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And I mean, I'd say it was just part of a long timeline of the media categorizing civil unrest in a diverse community as a, this is the black community versus the Jewish community. There was bloodshed, there was fighting, there were arrests made, there were riots. And the problem is that the Black community and the Jewish community are just in a war. Yeah. I mean, clearly there's layers there to unpack. But when I was reading just like journal articles and newspaper articles from that time, it was just so interesting to just see that same narrative just being perpetuated by everybody and throughout the whole thing I was just hoping I came across like one article and maybe there is one that I just didn't happen to find it but I was just hoping to see one article that mentioned at any point we spoke to uh black people in the Jewish community who had something to say about this or something like that Mm. And it didn't happen. So these were some riots in the 90s. And the point that I thought that you made that was really interesting was it was framed as the black community versus the Jewish community. But that neither community understood that this was this was actually a larger world conflict that had to do with a history of white supremacy Yeah, that's one thing that I feel like it's lost in so many of these conversations that happen, whether it's on Twitter, offline, whatever it is. There's so much focus on so many Black people are anti-Semitic, so many Jewish people are anti-Black, and it's never, everybody's literally focusing on all of these things because white supremacy is winning. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that there is not anti-Semitism in the Black community, and it is not to say that there is not anti-Blackness in the Jewish community. It's just to say that systemic anti-Semitism and systemic anti-Blackness work in such a way that conflicts between the two groups 
are just gonna take precedence over the actual target, which is white violence. And it's terrifying how, just like how, I guess, I mean, well-designed those systems are because they're just working so well. <laughs> they're working mm -hmm. so well. And it's, it's, it's scary. It's, it honestly is really scary. And that these two groups are focused on fighting each other when mm -hmm. really they're both dealing with a history of living in a white Christian dominant society mm -hmm. that has hurt their economic prospects, hurt their health prospects. And literally try to wipe them off the face of the earth. Right. <laughs> yeah. Whew. Yeah. And when you were saying you were looking for, can someone please just interview a black Jewish person? <laughs> I think you're, what you're sharing is that you see the testimony of black Jews about their lived experience as something that's really important for us to hear for both groups, for both of our mm -hmm. betterment. Can you say more about that? Where do you think we need to hear from black Jewish individuals? Yeah. I feel like one, the first thing that came to mind was, I think it would be great if more black people realized that in some cases, well, I mean, I mean, arguably in all cases, anti-Semitism is anti-blackness simply due to the fact that there are black Jews. And I think that um, if more, oh, see, but then I want to take a step back too, because there are just so many dangerous conspiracy theories that are now at the mainstream and that are believed by people that are elected officials that are deeply anti-Semitic, that are now so normalized that it's almost like before we can even have these important conversations about the need to unpack and eliminate people's anti-Semitism, we have to address that first. And that's oh, so frustrating. One, I wish more Jewish people realized that anti-Semitism, fighting anti-Semitism is a priority for me. It is one of the most important things that I try to educate people about. And it's really upsetting when people sometimes assume that because I am Black, that fighting anti-Semitism is not a priority for me, as if it's like this hierarchy and like activism when it just doesn't work like that at all. Like, in the same way that there's not really a hierarchy of, of our identities, they kind of just, you know, intersect. It's the same with causes that we fight for. And I think that's one thing I would really like people to know. And then another thing that I'd like people to know is just that you really can't make assumptions about what people's politics are just because you find out that they're Jewish. You really have no idea what they actually believe when it comes to anything, unless you actually ask them. So I think another thing is just before you try to make assumptions about or claims about any person that is a black Jew, just ask them, like, be kind. Maybe they'll say no, but get some clarification before you make assumptions. And that's, I feel like those are the most important things. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you kind of frame the fact of like the fact that you are black and Jewish is enough 
to just blow up the misconception that Jews are all the same. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just like, I'm here, therefore we are diverse. Yes, and we're not exactly. all the same. Yeah. And I love that you brought up too that, that idea of just because you're black and Jewish doesn't mean you don't care about anti-Semitism. Because I think you're right that that, that does get weaponized a lot, this idea of, mm-hmm. like, in the more liberal advocacy communities, that we have to be fighting for one thing or another. We either have to focus on exactly. racism or focus on anti-Semitism. We can't do both at the same time. And when we totally can. <laughs> yeah. And we have to, like, we can't just be single-cause people when all of the causes are inextricably linked together yeah Yeah. oh man that's i feel like that felt good hearing that i needed to hear that too (laughs) yeah Yeah, i feel like it's it's think it's an important thing to just think about period it's because it goes back to i guess one downside to social media is that sometimes people will read one tweet or one instagram post and think that they know everything about your whole philosophy of life when it's really just like a snippet of a larger idea, belief, conversation, etc. And I think people need to be a lot more honest about the fact that we can care about a lot of things at once. And just because we're not putting something at the forefront in this second doesn't mean that we didn't spend whatever many years fighting for it before. It just so happens that this moment, maybe we're focusing on something specific talking about having multiple identities and embracing that you relate the cultural importance of braiding hair and the black community (laughs) to braiding holodow in Jewish culture. And I wanted to ask you to talk about that association a little bit and what that means for you. Yeah. So I don't remember exactly the day that the thought came to me, but I know when it came to me, I was like preparing dough And I just had this weird flashback to just like being in the kitchen with my grandma because she used to do this like thing where she would like wet a washcloth and then like put it over my hair and then braid it. And something about the imagery, I guess, and just the care and attention to detail and then just the larger history of the act of braiding in both cultures it it was just like whoa oh my gosh this is this is an interesting connection yeah <laughs> mhm yeah i thought that was such a highlight of a beautiful moment that can come from having two cultural identities and blending them so it's not always about oh how do i deal with the oppression of both these groups but also mm-hmm. like what is so amazing when you can bring in like the art and the traditions from two cultures together and find similarities. Yeah. One thing I'm waiting for is for more people to talk about the similarities between black comedians and Jewish comedians and the way that they approach making sense of trauma Mm. on stage. That's something I'm waiting for somebody to talk about. That sounds amazing. Do you, right? And are it's you going right to be the person there. to talk about it? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> who, who are but, yeah. the comedians you're thinking of right now? Like, if you had to just put two together. Richard Pryor. 
and oh gosh, he's a problematic one. And I'm he's not t not even technically on the stage, but Woody Allen came to mind. But that's a a complicated one. So many comedians but are complicated. I know they're all so complicated. I really yeah. had to stop because the first name that came to mind, I was like, oh no, I don't even know. Oh no. <laughs> But yeah. But it would be fascinating. I keep It would be. I keep thinking one thing that really blew my mind was Beyonce's lemonade. And I'm just like, what would a Jewish version of lemonade look like? Can oh somebody gosh. please make this? Or make a black Jewish version or something like that? Oh my gosh, imagine. Yeah. I've also I've always wondered like what it would be like if there was a black broad city. <gasps> that would be so much fun. Oh like, my or gosh. just a like a more diverse broad city. Yeah. Just like so many Jews of so many different backgrounds getting Some into mischief. <laughs> somebody please make these things. Right? We're waiting somebody for this make art. It. Yeah, I hear you. Oh and we have gosh. Tiffany Haddish now, so come on, we could do this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We have the people. I know I that you wanted to chat about skin tone. I just want to make sure that I give you a chance to share um, because you've mentioned that skin tone and complexion is an important factor in Black Jewish identity. And so I just wanted to touch base and find out if you could tell me a little bit more about that. I guess I'll give like a, a little bit of background. So up until I was 15-ish, I was one skin color and I was just like a darker brown person, just dark brown skin. That was my skin color. And then when I was 15, I was diagnosed with a skin disorder called vitiligo, which is, yes, the thing Michael Jackson had. And since then, I've slowly been losing pigment. And now I'm like 50-50 brown skin, white skin. But on my face, and if my hair is covered, like my face just looks white. But I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm like clearly black. Like it's, it's a whole thing, but skin tone does play a difference in how people will race you, which is interesting. Mm. But so I feel like even how I navigate life as a black Jewish person, person is necessarily going to be different than somebody who, I mean, one has one skin color but two, has a darker complexion because of how anti-blackness works. In the American Jewish community, that probably goes back to that questioning that white Jews have of what mm -hmm. your parentage is. So if someone is a lighter skin color, but obviously, or, or seems to look like they mm -hmm. might have African ancestry, white Jews might start making assumptions of, well, you must be mixed. You must have Jewish mm -hmm. family or ancestry. And if you're a darker skin color, then maybe there are more questions about exactly. how are you Jewish? Did you, con did you convert? Exactly. That, exactly. Yeah. And so that's, <laughs> yeah, I think that you're right that in general, in the Jewish community, there are a lot of questions that we might have about appearance. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of discussion about, does someone look Jewish? Can someone Ooh. pass for quote unquote pass for white in the U S will they be mm -hmm. identified as Jewish or other if they go to a different country? And 
it sounds like that discussion's even more amplified if you're a Jew of color or a, a Jew with African ancestry. Yeah, and it's and it's uh, what gets me is that I feel like a lot of the pushback from see, and I even sometimes I feel strange even using the phrase white Jews because I feel like a lot of the people who are technically identified as white Jews, the problems that they'll have is that they'll think that when we say that we're making some grand claim about who they like are, like their essence, like who they are. What's their DNA Mm -hmm. makeup. Exactly. And it's like, no, that's not what we're saying at all. Like we're not telling you who you are. We're not saying at your core and your pure essence is white person. Like that's not what we're saying. We're saying that given the ways that whiteness as a construct functions, particularly in the United States and other places, because of the way that you happen to navigate certain spaces, you function as somebody who is white. If we go outside and, I don't know, God forbid, uh, uh, the NYPD runs up to us for whatever reason, are they going to look at you and think you're a white person? And if the answer is yes, then you function differently than somebody who is so so that's where the conversation is and I feel like that gets left out of the conversations a lot when it's like it's not about like what you're being called and what you're being labeled because it's not about what anybody's calling you it's just not about what anybody's calling you it's do you function in this way and I think it's really important to be honest about that I'll even add an interesting layer when when I did convert I still ha- I had more brown skin And my face was still primarily brown back then. So I wore like makeup, just a little makeup to cover um, the white spots. So like visibly, like I looked brown and even then, so I was Orthodox then. And so my experiences were um, very interesting because I feel like back then, because I was Orthodox, I didn't worry as much about dealing with anti-blackness in the Jewish community because I was Orthodox. I feel like it, um, it just made me feel a bit safer to be, even though I was much more visibly black, I was also much more visibly Jewish, if that makes Mm. sense. So there was less for people to question. Yeah. And now it's interesting because now I'm, I have more white skin, but I also, am no longer Orthodox. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, complex (laughs) yeah so you that's interesting it sounds like you almost had like a defensive layer of like well i'm the most jewish you can be Mm -hmm. so you can't question this you can't question this (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly it was oh yeah did that work do you feel like you got less questions at that point in your life than you do now yes wow yeah i really do i really really do I really, really do. <laughs> That's so yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Sometimes and, I honestly, okay. like, sometimes I miss that community because, um, 
yeah, I just, I just wasn't really questioned. I was like super plugged in. I ended up leaving that community because of racism though. So that's a whole other story. But while it lasted, it was pretty great. Yeah. It wasn't questioned. Yeah. It was, it was you felt accepted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, do you find now that you're getting more questions from like the, the more liberal Jewish sectors? Uh, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I am so sorry that that's your experience. <laughs> the but thing yeah. I always just come back to though, is just like when it really comes down to it, it's, it's not even between me and those people. It's between me and something much bigger. <laughs> so, like, I think that's what I feel like is the thing that changed the most with the relation, like, with me um, and my relationship to Judaism is just that, like, it's just not about what other people think. Because, like, I mean, they can say what they want, but, like, when it comes down to it, I mean, it's not about them. So, like... Yeah. It's I know individual that individual experience. Yeah, exactly. And the, the being that ultimately is going to decide is not them. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for having me. This was amazing. And I'm just so glad we had this talk. That was my conversation with Jesse Taylor Cruz. You can find a link to her paper, The Caged Bird Tweets of Freedom, in the show notes. This episode was produced by me, Clarissa Marks, with intro music by Ketza and outgoing music by Gilly Cuddy. If you like the show, you can support it by sharing with a friend or by adding a review to Apple Podcasts. That really does help others find us. You can connect with me on Twitter or Instagram at Clarissa R. Marks. And to hear more episodes, find transcripts, or learn more about the people and media we mentioned, visit our website, onwandering.co. That's onwandering.co. Thanks for listening and see you next time.